1 Peter 5, 1 through 5. I exhort the elders among you as, fellow, as a fellow elder and witness to the sufferings of Christ, as well as one who shares in the glory about to be revealed. Shepherd God's flock among you, not overseeing out of compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not out of greed for money, but eagerly, not lording over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. In the same way, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, because God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Hey, uh, if, if you're new or streaming online for the first time, um, we're starting to realize that uh, for um, a lot of people who are, are looking for maybe like a, a newer church, want to visit our, our little church plant, um, that they, they uh, like to sort of like taste test things by watching the video online before they come. And so um, if you don't know who I am, my name is Chris. Uh, I'm the lead and founding pastor here. Uh, and uh, you should know, especially if you're new or sort of newish to our church community, uh, that uh, we have um, uh, sort of some family announcements that, that will be made uh, throughout the course of this service. Um, not a big deal, but they're important for us and so uh, as a family. And so if you're visiting or streaming online for the first time, you might feel a little bit awkward, like, uh, man, why is it, is it always so intense? You know, they always talk about these internal things like every single Sunday. The answer to that is no. Uh, but hopefully through uh, these announcements and through this sort of family meeting, you can get a, a glimpse into what it means to be a part of our community, uh, what it means for us to follow Jesus together. Uh, so those two announcements. Um, you'll hear a little bit about it throughout this sermon, uh, but they'll, they'll really come uh, more formally at, at the end of the service. We're taking a break uh, for this Sunday and over the next several weeks uh, in our study through the book of Genesis. Uh, this afternoon, we're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 5, as we both, as we all uh, just read. So uh, if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to 1 Peter chapter 5. Uh, if you have a Bible app, you can go ahead and scroll to 1 Peter chapter 5. We'll be reading out of the CSB. Um, let me pray for us, and then I'll introduce our text. God, I... Thank you so much just for uh, just the privilege that I have uh, to, to worship you, King Jesus, with my brothers and sisters here at King's Cross. Um, Lord, it is a blessing to know you, to be loved by you, to be pursued by you, um, to be brought from our old ways of, of thinking and living, which uh, inevitably lead to, to death and for being far away from you, and to be brought from that place to a place of life and forgiveness and mercy uh, and abundance of joy through the gospel of Jesus. Um, God, there's nothing that's more important to us as a church family, as the good news uh, that is available to us in Jesus Christ. And so would you just make us humble and ready to receive your word right now? to recognize that we have been listening to truths and, and words and messages about how to live our lives constantly through the news and social media over the last several days. Uh, but we gather now on your day, on the Lord's day, uh, to sort of renew uh, our attention to the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. So give us now a hunger for your word, 
Uh, give us uh, a thirst for the new life that we have in you. Uh, and would you just help us to um, just delight in these words, uh, own them in our hearts, uh, and bring glory to you in the process. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. So this passage that we're looking at uh, is uh, a passage about pastors. It's a passage about pastoral leadership. Now, let me tell you just on the front end why you need a, te- a text like this and a passage like this, even if you will never serve uh, in the office of, of pastor, uh, even if you never feel called for that, I'll need to tell you why this is important to you. Now, this is a text that we have studied uh, in this church in the past, but we're going to be looking at it through a few different angles. Uh, but the reason that you need a passage of scripture like this is because, first of all, it's in the Bible. And so it is relevant for all Christians uh, in order to know what to believe and how we should live our lives. But secondly, it's, um, I'm aware of the fact that, that some of you carry wounds from maybe bad examples of pastoral leadership that you have been subjected to. That's been my experience too. Maybe you grew up in a tradition or denomination that's been guilty of all kinds of abuses with pastoral leadership. Maybe you personally experienced bad church leadership, uh, uh, the kind of bad church leadership that was maybe too toxic, too heavy-handed, or maybe on the other side, it was too soft, you didn't stand for anything. Both of those errors lead to a lot of pain uh, and confusion. Uh, or maybe you just knew somebody, a church leader who had a personal moral failure, somebody that you once looked up to. Uh, you need to know that the Bible is not silent on this matter. But the Bible speaks clearly, God speaks clearly through his word on what he calls pastors uh, to be, what they should look like, how they should live. Uh, thirdly, some of you currently serve in various leadership capacities. If you're a covenant member of this church, you probably serve in a uh, serve team here. Uh, and some of you have uh, leadership responsibilities on those teams. And while this passage is not written to general leaders with them in mind, many of the biblical principles that we're going to talk about still do apply here. Number four, some of you might one day aspire to serve as a pastor. Now, I don't want you to discount, discount how God might surprise you. You might think like, man, this is, I can't ever see myself serving in the role of an officer pastor. And, 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 and the Bible says that, that no, to do so, to desire that is actually a noble task. It's a high calling, but it's, but it's not one without challenges. I'm in a season right now of my life um, where I feel tired and insufficient as a pastor thinking about ways that I could have done better, leading our, our church, leading my family, just through these last several years, ways I could have taken better care of myself. I've been studying this passage again, uh, just digging into 1 Peter 5 in the book of 1 Timothy and in Titus, uh, just, just seeking uh, how uh, what God calls uh, us to as, as pastors. And, and those studies have only deepened that conviction and revealed um, areas that, that I just want Jesus to, to grow in me. And so this is a good passage for those who may, might one day feel called to the ministry. Now, it bears repeating, we, we mentioned this in our, in our Genesis series, uh, but as a church, we are what you would call complementarian. And that means that we believe that men and women are created equal in dignity, value, and worth, but that we are created with distinct roles. Men are different from women. 
They're different from women biologically. They're different from women in, in how the home should be ordered. Uh, and they also serve in different roles in the church. And now the role of a pastor or an elder, uh, we believe, uh, the scriptures are clear, should be reserved for those who are qualified men of character. All right. Now you might have some, uh, this is really, and I hate like kind of getting involved in these like debates and fights and stuff like that. Cause I don't want to, I don't want to make things personal, but, um, there's a, uh, there's a large church in the area with a ret retired pastor. He's my former boss, uh, Rick Warren, uh, who has gone recently. He talked about how he changed his position. He went from, uh, this complimentarian position to now ordaining female pastors. Uh, and the way that he talks about it, he's, is he's like, hey, if some people, some people who are really just like old-fashioned and traditional, who are legalists and haven't really done their ex Greek exegesis and haven't really studied this issue, like they're, they still believe that only men can serve as pastors and elders. And man, I, I mean, hey, look, it is one thing as Bible-believing, Jesus-following Christians, for us to, to disagree on a secondary issue that is not related to the gospel. But man, that is unfair at best, and I'd say wicked at worst, to paint those who you disagree with as those who are old-fashioned, traditional, and don't care about the Bible, haven't done uh, the work. Um, it's, I mean, it's like taking taking rules out of like either the CNN or the Fox News playbook, both the left side and the right side, they both do it if you've been paying attention, right? To where you paint the other side as like, they're not worthy of our respect, like they're kind of old school or they're too progressive or they don't care about truth. It's like, man, let's not, we shouldn't have that kind of rhetoric when it comes to the Church of Jesus Christ. And so, look, man, if you, if you land on a different uh, uh, sort of spot on the roles of men and women in the local church, um, you should know that this is a place that you're still welcome at, that we can have gracious discussion with. Uh, but it's also important for you to know that us as a church, uh, that we stand on how this has been uh, historically interpreted by uh, theological uh, conservatives. We believe that this is how the Bible uh, has spoken plainly and is meant to be understood. Uh, we don't want to apologize for that. We know that, that sometimes the Bible is going to say some things uh, that uh, will make the culture around us feel uncomfortable. But rather than abandon truth in order to uh, cater to the culture, um, we're willing to be maybe a little unpopular and even a little misunderstood and uh, even sometimes hated uh, if it means that uh, we love and stand on God's truth. I digress. So, but some of you, some of you might one day aspire to humbly serve uh, as a pastor or, or elder. Uh, some of you women might, might one day aspire to serve as a leader or a deacon uh, in the church. The office of deacon is open to both men and women. And uh, there are principles from this passage which would apply to that as well. But all of us, all of us, especially if this is your home church, are called to support and pray for pastors and elders. That's what the Bible calls us to. And you need to know that today, um, this is sort of one of our official announcements. Today, we are officially uh, announcing uh, two uh, candidates for the office of elder. 
for the office of pastor elder at this church. Uh, we've got Oscar Navarro, uh, who did the announcements uh, just right before I came up. We've got Brian Seitz, uh, who did the call to worship. Uh, and those names, if you've been around here, uh, those names should not be a surprise to you right? Uh, Because these are men who have led and served here for years. You've been able to know them and observe them over multiple uh, seasons. The Bible talks about how it's important for us to be able to observe candidates for the office of pastor over multiple seasons, multiple seasons of life, multiple seasons of of family uh, um, growing and family issues of different seasons of the church. They've proven their competency through preaching, through praying with you, leading groups, counseling, uh, hard situations with the word of God, as some of you have personally uh, experienced counseling with the word rather than the wisdom of the world. Um, But they are now entering into the last stages of their candidacy process. And the length of that final process will be determined by how efficiently we work through some of those final steps on clarifying biblical theology and church philosophy and practical ministry. Uh, We're going to interview their wives and family members and things like that. But in the meantime, uh, I am asking you as a congregation, you as this church family, if this is your home church, uh, to come alongside these men, pray for them, support them, tell them how much you love them and appreciate them. Pray not only for their effectiveness in in leading in this church, but also pray for their holiness and character over the long haul. It is a tragic reality that, that, that oftentimes as we, as the reason that Paul or that Peter rather is, is writing this passage of scripture is that there's a reality that many church leaders end up failing or burning out. They can be lured by sin or they can make a mockery of the faith. That's because we have a very real spiritual enemy that's seeking to thwart our growth in God's grace. And pastors and leaders find themselves in the crosshairs more of that enemy. Because if Satan can take out a shepherd, then a local flock, a local church of God can suffer. And pastors often have a target on their backs for increased spiritual warfare and demonic attacks. And for that reason, God is especially not silent on the matter of what he calls elders and pastors too. He has spoken. He's revealed it in his word. And he wants the local church to be united and orderly for the purpose of overflowing with faith, hope, and love. And so he has sharp defined words for those who are called to lead in the church. And men of God will either lead in response to what God has called us to, or they'll lead in rebellion to them. And so I name those two men as elder candidates because they will lead either in response to what God has called them to in the scriptures or in rebellion to it. And it is your job as a congregation to pray for them and to hold us as elders accountable to pray for our holiness, to speak up uh, uh, when things are going uh, sideways. And in 1 Peter chapter 5, God speaks not only about leaders, but he speaks directly to them through Peter. And so I want you to look at verse 1. It says, uh, I'm going to speak faster now because we've got a lot to get through. Uh, and I, I want to make sure that we, we have, have time for those announcement, that, that announcement and still get out here at a reasonable time. Uh, So give me like, I don't know, three, four hours maybe. Um, Just kidding. Um, We'll get through it quick. Uh, But 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1. 
It says, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and witness to the sufferings of Christ, as well as one who shares in the glory about to be revealed. So just the first thing right off the bat, let's define what is an elder. When Peter addresses elders, what is he talking about here? Now you might be thinking like, elders, I met one of those once. They ride on these bikes. They've got these name tags. They've got these cute helmets. Like, no, that's a totally different team, all right? That's not what we're talking about. Or when you hear the word elders, you might be thinking like, oh, like older people, right? Like that, that are wise in their years, like an old sage. That's a different kind of elder. But the word translated for, for elder in the New Testament, it's either the Greek word uh, prebuteros, uh, and other times it's the word episkopos, uh, from which we get the terms you may have heard of Presbyterian or Episcopal. Um, but those words basically just mean one who presides over a church, someone who exercises leadership oversight, one who oversees. And so uh, the, the, you might be more familiar, particularly if you grew up in like a low church or like non-denominational, more non-denominational tradition, you might be more familiar uh, with the term pastor and with the title pastor. Um, you need to understand that like the word pastor shows up, uh, I think in only like one or two places uh, in the New Testament. Uh, and it's always related to uh, this, this act of shepherding, this act of oversight. And so, in other words, that word for elder and bishop and pastor, it's all the same word, all right? You'll have some denominations that try to splice things and say, like, no, a pastor is this, an elder is this, a bishop is that. Um, but no, when, when, you, when you read the scriptures and look at how these words are used, um, what you see is that this different words are used for the same office, for the same role. The different words are just used based on what's being emphasized uh, in terms of the function. And so all this to say, um, an elder is a pastor, a pastor is an elder. So read verse 1 and 2 with me. Um, it says, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder um, and witness to the sufferings of Christ, as well as one who shares in the glory about to be revealed, shepherd God's flock among you. And so to be this type of leader in the church, in some sense, is to be a shepherd. You want to know what a pastoral leader does? You want to look at what the first century shepherd looked like. And what comes to mind when you think of the word shepherd is maybe you're thinking about like this just nicely carved out shepherd from your nativity scene in a block of wood with this burlap uh, robe uh, that that, that uh, a nice little you know cane sort of stick that he leans on. Uh, but what you See, uh, when you study uh, the history of the ancient Near East, is that the shepherds back then, they were like gritty dudes. They were dirty because they were hardworking. They, they got their hands in it uh, as they shepherded sheep. They had a lot of responsibilities to manage in order to see their flocks flourish. And in the same way, pastors are responsible for seeing that their flocks flourish. They're to live among them, live among the people and care for them to make sure that they're fed, fed the word of God. To, they're there to protect them as a good shepherd, to protect them from, from wolves. Uh, the, those would be predators that bring in false teachings and false doctrines. Uh, shepherds lead people through seasons. They set the pace in the culture. They make sure that other people uh, in the congregation are maturing and growing in Christ. That's the work of overseeing uh, that we see in verse 2. And so that's what an elder is. An elder is a pastor, is a shepherd. 
Well, let's spend the bulk of our time now talking about what the Bible says about elders. This is point number two. What does the Bible say about elders? Now, I'm going to talk about what the Bible says about elders under a number of different headings. Each one begins with the letter C to kind of help you remember them. Because, uh, again, your job is to be praying for these men and supporting the leaders of this church uh, as they lead and serve you. Uh, but the first C is the Bible has a lot to say about an elder's conviction. He's a man of conviction. Look at verse 1 again. It says, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and witness to the sufferings of Christ, as well as one who shares in the glory about to be revealed. Now, what Peter is using here is he's using the language of the gospel. He's saying, hey, look, to all of you pastors who are receiving this letter, I'm writing to you as a fellow pastor who has witnessed the sufferings of Christ. Like, like, I understand what it means for him to be the Messiah that we've all longed for. And I also share in the glory that's going to be revealed that, that one day Jesus is going to come back. He not only lived and died and rose for us and ascended to the right hand of God, but he is going to come back to right every wrong and make every sad thing come untrue. He's going to make all things new again. It's shorthand for the gospel. And so that tells us that elders need to be people. They need to be men who are passionate about the truths of God's word. They need to be passionate about biblical truth. That means first that they are men who are grounded on the Bible. They are Bible grounded. If you've been here for any amount of time, you should know that for us as a local church, we are committed to having a high view of Scripture. That means that we believe that the Holy Bible, the 66 books of the Old and New Testaments, are the inspired Word of God the inerrant word of God. That means that inspired, we believe that God himself breathed this out by the Holy Spirit. Every word is inspired, that it is inerrant, in other words, without error in its original form. And we believe that this word, this scripture, stands alone as the final authority for how we believe and how we should live. And so that means that our tradition, our sort of historic tradition or denominational tradition uh, isn't one where uh, we take uh, what uh, the traditions of, of the world or the traditions of the church and place those up and above uh, the Bible. We're not going to do that. We also don't see uh, the Bible and uh, man-made religious traditions as, as, as equal, um, but we see the Bible as our sole foundation, as our final authority. But we also know from the plain reading of the Bible that there is one point for all the scriptures. And it's not to make us all religious people. It's not to make us look all clean and, and proper on the outside. But it's to have us recognize like the one message that all the scriptures point to the one story that every book of the Bible points to is the reality that God is good and that we are not. And that though we are more sinful than we can admit, the Bible tells us that we are also more loved and adored and pursued through Jesus Christ than we could ever dare hope. 
And so that means that we are not only Bible-grounded, but we as a people uh, are gospel-centered. That a pastor is not only grounded on the scriptures, but he is centered on the gospel. That he doesn't make uh, his central thing a particular way of doing things or a particular um, brand of, of politics or way of doing school education or um, way of, of dressing uh, for church on Sunday. Um, and it's fine to have like all of our opinions on those things, right? But his central, uh, it's, I'm not saying that those things aren't important in their, in their uh, various spheres, but I'm saying that the, the, he understands that the central message of the Bible is the good news of Jesus Christ. He knows that the gospel changes everything and is meant to inform and transform all things. Who Jesus is and what he's done provides both the motive and the means to true Christian growth. The recently uh, late Tim Keller is fond of saying that the gospel is to be applied to every area of thinking, feeling, relating, working, and behaving. That's what it means to be gospel-centered. And so if a person or church is gospel-centered, it tells us that there are other things around which it is not centered. It's not tradition-centered, perhaps as fundamentalist churches may be. It is not pragmatically centered, perhaps as uh, church growth like megachurch movements might be. It is not culturally centered, uh, as many more liberal or progressive churches might be. It is the gospel that stands at the very center of the church of the believer. And so a big part of our church philosophy is a commitment to the centeredness, or we, we, we say the centrality of the gospel. That means the gospel is the driving center of everything that we say and do. You might notice that our, our Sunday service has a routine rhythm. A liturgy is, is the old-fashioned word for it, but we have a liturgy, a regular rhythm that is shaped by the gospel. We start with a call to worship by acknowledging that God is God, that he's creator, and that we're not. We're mere creatures. And having considered God's greatness, we recognize that he's great and we are not. And so we do a confession of sin. But the good news is that God doesn't leave us abandoned in our sin, but that he gives us the assurance of grace in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we recite together an assurance of grace. And by the way, the reason that we read that out loud together is because the Bible says that when Christians gather together for service and for uh, worship gatherings, that we should be reading the scripture over one another. And so the expectation is that when you come to church, if this is your church home, that you're not coming as a consumer to be entertained or to be inspired, but that you come to participate in the life-giving hope of the gospel, to receive it, to be given hope, and to speak that hope to others. And then because uh, the gospel is given by the proclamation of the word, then that's why we have uh, a sermon and then we, we take the Lord's Supper to remember and rehearse the gospel together. Uh, and then we end with a benediction, a blessing, as a reminder that uh, our living for Jesus doesn't end when the service ends, but it continues on uh, throughout the week until we meet again next Lord's Day. And so we not only proclaim the gospel, we aim to create uh, a culture of the gospel, being honest about our sin. But as Brian said earlier, we're honest about our sin because we take God and his word seriously. But at the same time, we don't take ourselves too seriously by trying to make up for our sinfulness by being super religious and righteous on the outside. 
but rather by saying, I'm a mess. I'm an idiot. I sinned again, but thank you for Jesus who forgives me and makes me new. And by his grace, I'm growing to be more like him. That's what it means to be gospel-centered. It also uh, calls us being a man of conviction. Uh, that means that you are confessionally guided. Now, I mentioned earlier that, that uh, the scriptures are our first and highest authority, not uh, church traditions. And that is true. But I think that one of the unfortunate things that has inadvertently happened just within the last 50 to 75 years um, is that we have so uh, had such an aversion to tradition that we think there's no place for it at all. But when we see, uh, uh, when we open up the scriptures, what we see is that, that Paul tells his disciples, like, hey, not only hang on to the doctrine that I teach you, but hang on to these traditions too, these way of doing things. Uh, the fact, the way that we receive communion every Sunday, that's a tradition that we receive from Jesus himself in 1 Corinthians 11. The way that our liturgy, our order of service, is shaped by the different elements of the gospel, that is a tradition that has been given to us from church history. And part of what it means to be confessionally guided is it means that we also happily affirm as a church historic creeds and confessions in what we call our book of confessional standards. If you want to know what those are, you can look at our website. I don't have time to go through all of them right now. But while we understand that all these different documents are underneath the scriptures, we do recognize as a church that they are still helpful and reliable summaries of biblical Christian teachings. To paraphrase uh, the theologian R.C. Scroll, um, he talks about how if when, you, when, when pastors of a church are, are looking at a scripture, uh, and if they come up with a new interpretation that has escaped every other Christian for thousands of years, chances are you need to give up your interpretation, right? Seems like a reasonable thing to do, right? Uh, and so, uh, like, some people will look at, like, like, I've had a pastor friend that was like, uh, Man, like, I noticed that, you know, you guys on your website, you've got, like, this, this, uh, this old historic, like, confession of faith that you, um, that you subscribe to, right? And he's like, why don't you just write one on your own, right? That's what our church did. I'm like, dude, are you kidding me? I don't, I'm not smart enough for that, right? You've got, like, hundreds of dudes that got together in some official meeting, council. You've got pastors, theologians, scholars that argued over the different nuances of the text that applied it to our day, right? And said, here's what the Bible says about the scripture. Here's what the Bible says about the Holy Spirit. Here's what the Bible says about the Trinity, right? And you think that like me and a couple dudes are going to come up with a better document than what those people did like a couple hundred years ago? There's no way. There's no way that would ever happen, right? And so like you're either going to point to you and your fellow pastors or you and your homies as your authority that you submit to, or you're going to point to, hey, like, read this systematic theology that I read in seminary. It's like, dude, that's just one guy again, right? It's like, how about we say, no, look, we got the Bible as our highest authority, but when, when, when we, but the way that we're going to interpret and understand the Bible is we're going we're gonna to lean on how scholars and pastors and people much smarter than us, and who had a lot more to lose if they were wrong. 
even having their life on the line with the way that things worked back then, right? Like, had a lot more to lose. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lean on their wisdom and, and their work rather than rely on my own. And that's how you avoid um, making silly mistakes uh, around gender and sexuality and things like that, um, just catering to the whims of the culture. You say, hey, look, our modern-day sensibilities and my personal opinion and feelings cannot be trusted compared to just the foundation of God's word and the history of the Christian church. And so look, it's important for you to know that we require full subscription of our confessional standards for pastors and elders in this church and for deacons and for um, other people who might uh, serve uh, as uh, an occasional uh, guest, like, like t- teacher, um, uh, but, but, but it's also important for you to know that full subscription to our confessional standards is not required to be a member of this church. To be a member of this church, you just need to love Jesus, know the essentials of the Christian faith, and by virtue of your baptism, know that you have been, that you are dead to your old way of living and that you have risen to walk in newness of life. Hey, if that's, if that's you, it's like, man, let's, let's baptize you. Like, let's get you in this church family. family. Let's commit to one another as members of, of a church family. Um, and so you need to know, though, that for pastors and elders, full subscription is, um, is required. Um, and so uh, it's important for you to know, like, what those are uh, so that you know sort of like what are, what, what have our, like what are the sort of positions that we would take on secondary and tertiary issues. And so our doctrinal beliefs, uh, if you care about these words or have uh, any knowledge of um, just the, the nuances of these, our doctrinal beliefs can be described as biblical, historic, reformed, evangelical, and gospel-centered. Uh, but ultimately, you should know that us as a church, we care less about certain labels and we care more about living, just faithfully teaching and preaching and living what the Bible says. Um, also, a little sub-note, is uh, part of what convictional means uh, is that uh, the uh, men who serve as pastors and elders, that they also share the conviction of uh, affirming and embodying the, the vision and values uh, of our church. Uh, and, and that also, to a reasonable degree, that their, their wife shares these convictions uh, too. Uh, let's move on to the next C, which is calling. Uh, verse 2 says, shepherd God's flock among you, not overseen out of compulsion, but willingly. And so we see that the, the man of God is, is, is called to the pastoral ministry. He doesn't serve out of compulsion, in other words, uh, out of obligation, but he serves willingly, out of a free desire, out of a calling. That's when you start uh, looking at your job as a calling to fulfill rather than a task to perform. 1 Timothy 3 describes this calling to, uh, of a pastor as a, a quote-unquote noble work. That's 1 Timothy 3, verse 1. It says, This saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to be an overseer, he desires a noble work. That verse is about calling. Because that word aspire is about an internal calling. It's this unshakable burning in your soul. It's usually not something that, that you look to happen. It's something that just kind of happens to you. I mean, if you look at these Old Testament prophets, guys like Abraham and Ezekiel, Jeremiah, David, like most of those boys, like they weren't looking to be called. It just kind of happened to them, right? God placed this heavy burden on them, uh, and then they just couldn't help it. Uh, but 
by the way, internal calling, under the New Testament, internal calling is not enough. There also needs to be an external calling. And so that's where you have an external confirmation outside of yourself. That means somebody doesn't get to go, yeah, you know, like God told me that I, I'm going to be a pastor one day, and I know everybody disagrees, and my pastor disagrees, and my wife disagrees, but I don't know, God told me, right? Like, it's like, no, that's not how that works, right? You don't get to decide in and of yourself. There needs to be an external confirmation, too. You need to place yourself under the honest and sometimes uncomfortable uh, authority and assessment of a group of Christians outside of yourself. That includes your family and peers and, and other pastors. That word aspire has to do with a deep-seated passion that God gives a person. And that's because it's given by God. And that means uh, saying something like, man, I feel like I've got the gift, like I just need to be preaching, is not a passion, because that's all about you. God-given passion says, no, I want to see the world changed. I want to see sinners saved. I want to see dads discipling their kids, bringing them to church and leading their homes spiritually. I want to see generations of family transformed by the liberating effects of the gospel. I want to see the community that I live in look entirely different because of the way that, that Christian bosses treat their employees, because of the way that Christian citizens serve and love their neighbors. It's a passion that says God's kingdom come, God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And look, the work required in this calling is heavy and waiting. That's why it's called noble work by Timothy and why Peter says if you're not willing, uh, if you're not going to over, oversee and lead willingly, even through the hard stuff, then, then you're not qualified for the job. And look, really any position in leadership in a church can hold that kind of weight all the more so for pastoral leadership. Because when you're caring for souls, you're sometimes working long hours of the days. You're on call 24 hours. While, while people that you used to have fellowship with and, and, and just enjoy Christian community with are no longer around, like your heart breaks for them. They're not thinking about you, but you're like crying over them. You bear the psychological burden for the sake of others that they don't even see you carrying. And then you're navigating dangers, but, but then there's, there's even the worry and the anxiety of potential dangers to the church. There's going to be disasters that the church avoids that nobody's going to know about because the pastors did their job. Pastoral ministry also requires that you rejoice with those who rejoice and that you weep with those who weep. It's this emotional roller coaster that can sometimes be overwhelming and heavy. You carry the burdens and griefs of one another. You might get occasional positive feedback for the way that you, you taught this devotional or the way that you preached a sermon, but more often than not, to a significant degree, you'll receive more attacks and be the object of gossip because of genuine mistakes and failures that you're desiring to learn from. Uh, but more often from just misunderstandings because people made an assumption about you. And so Peter's addressing the leader who finds himself in those moments. He's saying, I want you to ask yourself, like, will you shepherd under compulsion or willingly, even when it's hard, even when the arrows are pointed in your direction, as God would have you? Will you remember that Jesus is the great capital S shepherd over all the under shepherds? 
Peter wants them to know that that he's the one. Jesus is the one who says, come to me, all you who are burdened, and I'll give you rest. I might be a frail version of myself tomorrow morning, but God is no less sufficient for that day. His strength is no less mighty. His presence is no less near. His love is no less liberating. His grace is no less abounding. And that frees me to be able to serve willingly. And the man of God who serves as a pastor or elder needs to know that, that because of Jesus' abundant grace, you don't have to lead out of compulsion, but you can lead willingly for your joy uh, in serving God and others. Let's fly through this next one. The next C is commitment. This is a commitment to the mission of God and the mission of the church. Um, so more than just somebody, this is somebody more than just somebody who just like shows up uh, to things, but this is somebody who sees things through to completion. Verse three says, don't lord it over those entrusted to you, but be examples to the flock. This speaks into Christian character, but it also speaks to commitment, that you're there to lead by example. Now, I don't want you to miss the phrase that we read from verse two, where it said, shepherd God's flock among you. And that's a significant little phrase there, shepherd God's flock among you, because you might be thinking like, well, yeah, what other flock is there? But sometimes pastors and Christian leaders can find themselves trying to shepherd and lead the flock that they want or a platform that they want rather than the people that God has given them. Or maybe it's that if it was up to you, you might only want to shepherd people who and be around people who look like you and dress like you and talk like you and think like you. But you're called to care for those that God has sovereignly placed in your path. And later on, Jesus says that, or, or Peter says that Jesus is the chief shepherd that all pastors are under shepherds of. And so in other words, you commit to the work because you're committed to him and to his reward. The next C is that of character. He continues in verse 2, he says, uh, uh, to, to, to lead and oversee not out for greed for money, but eagerly. Greed for money, uh, 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 that's talking about selfishness, identity, privilege, things like that. Uh, eagerly, that means that the emphasis here is on a positive emotional desire. It's that passion that we talked about. Hardly anyone goes into the ministry to roll in the dough. Except maybe you're like a prosperity gospel preacher on like TBN or something like that. But if the checks are small... If the only reason you're in vocational ministry is to get your bills paid, like, uh, like that, that's, that's still for shameful gain, even if the checks are small. Shameful gain doesn't have to just be about money, though. There are other things that ministry leaders can hope for, things like prestige and power and status, book deals, Instagram followers. You know, the list goes on. Peter's saying, men, in your ministry should never be done for your own self-esteem. It should never be done for your own self-righteousness or for your own self-worth or for your own position in the world. It should never be done purely for uh, a paycheck or for a tax break. It should always be done for Jesus. And so the question to ask is, are you driven by what you can get or by what you can give? The matter here, the, the issue here is a matter of character. Does the man meet the biblical qualifications of an elder and pastor in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus chapter 2? Those chapters tell us that character matters the most. As a matter of fact, most of the talk about leadership in the church is not about entrepreneurial skill or the size of the crowd or the power of the personality, but it's about the content of a person's character. 
And so that means a pastor needs to be somebody who not only meets uh, the qualifications in Scripture, he also meets uh, what is asked of, of covenant members of the church. Uh, he exceeds those qualifications. That means that he sets the example by regularly gathering for worship, by faithfully serving, by being involved in authentic community, by displaying a life that has a discipline of repentance and sacrificial uh, giving uh, of his time and of his resources and finances. It's a man who is growing spiritually both in understanding and in character before the congregation. And so red flag characteristics would be a guy who is dishonest or flaky or hypocritical or maybe he just comes across as like power hungry. Remember, Peter says, to lead in a way that is not lording over. Those who lead the church by serving and serve by following the example of Jesus. Jesus didn't approach ministry himself for selfish gain. In fact, he had no place to rest his head. The one who was the Lord of Lords, the one who had the ultimate place of power and position. He didn't lead by domineering, but by washing his disciples' feet as a prime, premier example of service, even to the point of washing the feet of the man who would betray him. And he did that willingly. The next C is competency. In other words, does he have the marks of a shepherd? Remember, he said, shepherd God's flock among you. And so the, the, the sort of job description of a pastor elder is found in that word shepherd. The marks of a shepherd can be found in Psalm 23. We don't have time to go over, over it, but I'll go through the list quickly. That means he's a man who feeds the sheep through preaching and teaching. He's a man who guides the sheep by counseling by the book, according to God's word, not by his own wisdom. He's somebody who cares for the flock. That means he's tender-hearted in nature uh, and that he, he, he uh, lives out and produces a gospel uh, culture. That, He's not just trying to beat people over to the head with what they should believe, but is actually concerned about that doctrine getting into people's hearts and warming us and making us humble and new. He's also somebody who protects from wolves. Wolves could be false teaching from the culture. It could also be false teachers uh, from the outside or false teachers who uh, try to rise up uh, from within. Um, Man, I'll tell you that there, there's some people uh, who've come to uh, our church like early on who see like, ah, oh, this is a new church, right? Like I could probably have an easy opportunity or like platform to, to grow here. Um, and I start talking to this person and I find out like, man, you believe some whack things, right? Uh, and try to like shepherd them like into, into what the Bible says into God's truth. Uh, and, and a lot of times they end up walking themselves uh, out, of, out the door. Um, pastors need to be the kind of person who know their Bible well enough uh, to be able to do that. And they also lead the flock of God. He could have said, shepherd your flock, but he said, shepherd God's flock. And some guys miss the big picture when we start to see our churches as our churches. The flock among you is not primarily yours, but belongs to God. They don't belong to you before they belong to God. Maybe you're a group leader or a leader in a ministry team. And that mini flock of yours is not primarily yours. It belongs to God. And so a pastor is merely an under-shepherd of the good shepherd. 
He's a person of competency who, who, who feeds and guides and cares and protects and leads. There are other categories that we don't have time to get into. There's the sea of uh, capacity. In other words, does the elder and his wife have the time, relational and emotional capacity to serve in this role well? Uh, there's a sea of chemistry. In other words, uh, uh, do we even like get along with people uh, on, on the elder team or with the, with the congregation? Is this a man of like emotional intelligence uh, or is he just kind of socially rough along the edges? Uh, there's a sea of context. In other words, is this a man who knows the culture that we live in, can discern the popular idols of our culture, but also understands the culture and the people of the church that he's called to? All of these are important to elder well, and the elders and pastors of this church will be assessed accordingly. And what this means for the rest of us, this is our last and final point, and we'll close here. Verse 5 says, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Peter uses the word likewise to shift attention here. The Greek word he uses literally means on the same subject. And so he's saying, you who are younger doesn't mean younger in age. If so, he would have used a different Greek word. It refers to those who have seniority and standing in the faith. And so when he says be subject to the elders, he's saying, hey, you who are not pastors, be willing to support the elders' direction. You who are not leaders of a team, be willing to support the leaders who, who are. In other words, and do it in the same way, in the same heart that they're supposed to lead you, follow them with a similar heart. In other words, follow without complaining, follow without greed, follow without being domineering or manipulative. And when you hear the ministry of the word and prayer through the pastors, respond to them. Respond to the preaching. Follow and participate. So, hey, look, as, we're, as we are uh, in a moment here, I'm going to uh, invite Oscar and Brian up, uh, and I'm going to pray specifically over them. And my challenge to you as a congregation is to get to know these men better than you do now. Pray for them and support them. And step into the trenches with them. Some people like to follow from far away, but just far enough to have an opinion on what's going on, but not actually close enough to really participate. And so would you just move in to the front line, maybe step into the trenches, move in close enough so that you bear both the weight of ministry, but also the joys and the privileges of ministry. The word of God says that we are called to bear with one another. And when you see that things are messy and broken in this church, which will inevitably happen, be prayerful, discerning, and humble. Don't, don't treat yourself, don't look at yourself as, as a guest, but as a member of the family whose voice matters. Ask questions like, how can I help? And then listen, respond. Proverbs says, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens. And so let's, let, me, let me finish by just this verse really quick, verse 4. We all humble ourselves under Jesus Christ, the one true shepherd. Verse 4 says, when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. And so in the middle of this part of, uh, in, in this text, where Peter writes a message pleading the leaders to lead and for people to follow, he points us to Jesus, the chief shepherd. Why does he do that? It's because Jesus leads like no one else does. He follows the Father's will like no one else 
The applause of men will fade, but the love of Christ never fades. Christ is the ultimate hope of the church. It doesn't rest on the pastors. It doesn't rest, less rest on the leaders. But there's a great shepherd who knows his church and lived for them and died for them. And so the hope of our church is the good shepherd who will never leave us and will never forsake us. And when we fail as leaders, when we fail as followers, Jesus is faithful. Let me invite Oscar and Brian up here. Um, I want to pray for them uh, specifically. And I want you to, to see this as um, just the official entering uh, for them in the last stages of their candidacy as elders. I invite you to love on them, uh, to follow them, uh, to, to pray for them and get to know them. Uh, would you bow your heads and pray with me? Uh, Father God, I, I thank you so much uh, for, these, for these two men. I thank you for the love that they have for you, the love that they have for your church, the love that they have for this church, and for the ways that they have proven faithful in leading and serving and, and caring and counseling and protecting I pray, Lord, that uh, just in, in the coming weeks and months, uh, as the congregation continues to just um, better get, get better acquainted with them and just love on them and serve them um, and pray for them, I pray, Lord, that they would just grow exponentially uh, in their love for you uh, and in their gifts uh, to serve and lead your church. I thank you for these men. I thank you for their families. I recognize that uh, just the call that you've placed uh, on them and on their families is one that is high and heavy. And so I ask for your strength and grace uh, to just carry them through. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the King's Cross Church Podcast. We'd like to encourage listeners to be part of a local church gathering. If you're ever in the Orange County, California area, we'd love it if you'd come by and visit on a Sunday morning. For meeting times and locations or any other information about us, please visit kx.church. There's no .com in that, just kx.church. Thanks again for listening.